Thursday morning, the 30th of November. It's the Feast of St. Andrew the Apostle. I know that many of you pray the St. Andrew Christmas Novena. Let's pray it together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Hail and blessed be the hour and moment in which the Son of God was born of the most pure Virgin Mary at midnight in Bethlehem in the piercing cold. In that hour vouchsafe, I beseech thee, O my God, to hear my prayer and grant my desires through the merits of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and of his blessed Mother. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. St. Andrew the Apostle, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We are glad that you're with us here on a Thursday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We got a video feed up and running in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. You can watch us on YouTube if you uh, if you so choose. We'll join the chat over there and you can we'll add your comments as the show goes on. Joseph Pierce will be along with more stories from English Catholic history. Uh, we're talking more about Mary Tudor this week. Dr. Leonard Lorenzo's uh, got some thoughts on the questions uh, related to Jesus in the scriptures today. We're talking about healing on the Sabbath. We'll discuss St. Albert on chastity with Father Robert Nixon, who's recently translated a work from St. Albert the Great. And then pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast will help us close out this month of November, which is dedicated to the Holy Souls, by discussing some ways to remember our faithful departed, not just in prayer, but so that we kind of uh, claim and uh, and own their legacy in our own lives from day to day as well. Two minutes past the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Legendary diplomat Henry Kissinger has died at the age of 100. Kissinger served as national security advisor to the Nixon administration from 1969 to 1975 and was best known for guiding American foreign policy during the Vietnam War. He was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1973 after a ceasefire agreement was concluded between the U.S. and Vietnam. He also negotiated the end to the Yom Kippur War in 1973. He was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1977 and the Medal of Liberty in 1986. The truce between Israel and Hamas is being extended for another day. The Israeli military has now said that the temporary ceasefire in Gaza will continue for another day for the process of releasing hostages and subject to the terms of the agreement. The six-day truce was set to end at 7 a.m. local time today following the release of 16 Hamas captives in exchange for 30 Palestinian prisoners being held by Israel. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis appealed for the continuation of this ceasefire in Gaza so that all hostages might be freed and that the necessary humanitarian aid might be able to enter. In his catechesis, the Holy Father continued his series on apostolic zeal, saying, All Christians are called to fill pessimistic societies with the joy of the gospel. From Vatican Radio, Joseph Tullock reports. One almost always hears bad things being said today, he said. 
admitting that wars, climate change and widespread injustices do lend credence to this contemporary pessimism. The Pope said that technological progress and individualism frequently combine to hand over our natural desires for greatness to, quote, voracious economic logic. We could even say that we find ourselves the first civilization in history that globally seeks to organize a human society without the presence of God, concentrated in huge cities that remain horizontal despite their vertiginous skyscrapers. He said that the biblical Tower of Babel jumps to mind when considering this situation, and he noted that the temptation for a unified human thought is to descend into nationalism and a thirst for power. He then went on to offer a more positive outlook on contemporary culture, noting that the gospel offers a message of hope for every age, including our own. Apostolic zeal is never a simple repetition of an acquired style, but the testimony that the gospel is alive today, here for us, the church, he continued, must go out into the streets of our world to foster encounter and unity, rather than shouting the name of Jesus from a balcony. In conclusion, the Pope said that the church should be at the crossroads of society, so that Christians may fill our pessimistic societies with the hope and joy of the gospel. I'm Joseph Tullock. All public colleges and universities in Massachusetts have a deadline of today to submit a medical abortion readiness plan. The order comes under a 2022 law in the state designed to protect so-called reproductive and so-called gender-affirming care. Governor Mara Healey announced last week that a toolkit for public higher education institutions was being created to help these schools prepare. Google's former CEO says artificial intelligence could endanger humanity within the decade. Lisa Taylor has more. In an interview at Axios AI Plus Summit, Eric Schmidt said AI development is similar to the development of nuclear weapons at the end of World War II. The dangers of AI begin when the computer can start to make its own decision to do things, including discovering weapons. I'm Lisa Taylor. And week 13 of the NFL season has arrived. Kicks off tonight, Thursday night football, when the Seattle Seahawks visit the Dallas Cowboys. Both teams are vying for postseason contention as each side currently sits in an NFC wild card spot. Are we already looking ahead to the playoffs in I mean, the I NFL? Guess. I guess so. I mean, this is really we're going to start seeing some statistical eliminations here. Yeah. They, right now they true. talk about like who's in the playoffs and then they have like the division leaders and the wild card leaders and then like 12 teams are in that in the hunt in the column. Hunt. Yeah, yeah. They're going to be less people in the hunt. Although, am I? Did I miss something? Is there like an NBA playoff thing happening right now? Am I oh, going crazy? Yeah, I saw something about that. I didn't understand. I feel like I don't either. They, but I, I feel don't like understand they were a whole lot about the it, NBA. What were they calling it? It was like Paul just got in my ear. The in-season tournament. The in-season tournament. I don't know what that means. It means um, a tournament. I don't know, like in an in-season season trophy, an in-season MVP, in-season games that go past does one a.m. with it a score like of one hundred and seventy-five to one hundred and sixty. Regular season. Don't ask me to explain the NBA. It's like regular season games actually count. I guess. I guess. Paul so wait, does that mean? Me wait, does that mean like, the, like yeah, the stars might actually, actually play like, on like a Wednesday? <laughs> We figured it out, Matt. We got it. We all got right. it. <laughs> I trust you on all these things, Anna. Totally. You totally. were the one with the newswire. Gotta love it. Gotta love it.
Well, it is Thursday, the 30th of November. Thank you for joining us. It's eight minutes past the hour. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Joseph Pierce, visiting prof of literature at Ave Maria University. He's also visiting fellow of Thomas More College of Liberal Arts, the Augustine Institute, and St. Austin Review also have his materials. But I say go to jpierce.co and you'll find everything that you're looking for. Joseph, good morning. Good morning, Matt. So we were talking about Mary Tudor last time around. I kind of wanted to save this next part of her story for its own segment. How did things start going bad for the Catholic Queen and uh, eventually slide it all back to the other side? Well, um, what began to go wrong, basically, from the perspective of, of retrospect, should we say, looking at looking back on it, um, was, was the fact that uh, the, the, the England was descending towards anarchy, that the Protestants were a minority in the country, that the estimates were not more than about 12% of the population, but they had much more power than that, than that suggests because their power centers were amongst the aristocracy who had, uh, who had taken the church land under Henry VIII and in the southeast of London, England, particularly London. So they had more power than their numbers would suggest. And basically England was, was, was um, declining, descending into a state of anarchy and, and near civil war. So urged by her Privy Council, which is basically like her parliament, um, the Queen began uh, a campaign against heretics, which included the burning of 300 uh, heretics. So that's where her reputation as Bloody Mary comes from, is the fact that she succumbed to this practice, which uh, none of us can endorse. Uh, what I always say is that our Lord came to be crucified for our sins, not to crucify us for them. And I think that's, that's the sort of model we should be pursuing uh, in, in, in tackling uh, error and heresy, um, not, not to persecute our enemies, but to, to, um, to suffer. But of course, we do have to keep order if we're government. So I, I think she was justified. She could have been justified in imprisoning those who were trying to bring disorder or exiling. But really, uh, you know, burning people at stake is barbaric. Uh, it really is, and it, all it does, as we know, in every conflict that has uh, sprung up since the age of social media, all you got to do is take one picture or video of the other side doing something bad, and then you can justify anything that you do in response. It does, I mean, it's a cycle. It's, it's very much a cycle. Uh, but what you also see is that whoever's got the most power gets to often control you know, what the story is. And the, there's this story also of, you know, England may have had this sort of interesting imbalance of Catholics to Protestants, uh, but England is not very far from the continent where the whole thing is going insane and there's Protestantism all over the place. So it wouldn't take long for someone to go somewhere else to rally some sort of support, support and put together a plot to figure out how to get this in the other direction. Yeah, and I think that's the price you have to pay. Basically, you have to win through love and reason. So you have to act charitably. You have to follow. You have to follow that example of Jesus Christ. You have to act charitably, and then use the power of sound philosophy and theology to win the arguments uh, that are, that are being held there during the during the Reformation. So yes, you send people to exile. They then they then form a faction that that, what, that um, uh, causes people in Europe to to rip up hatred against England, and, and they start importing propaganda. Well, that's something you have to live with, right? Not least, because as you quite rightly say, Matt, you know, apart from the fact it's wrong anyway to, 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 to burn people at the stake, and we can't use evil means to a good end, it doesn't actually succeed It's even in a Machiavellian sense. 
it doesn't achieve its goal because, as you quite rightly say, um, it makes martyrs of people. And the John, John Fox's Book of Martyrs, which, which writes about these Protestant martyrs during the reign of uh, Mary Tudor, was a, a great tool for propaganda for the Protestant side for, for centuries afterwards. Well, from centuries afterwards, all the way up to when I was working at the family Christian store in Lexington, Kentucky in the late 90s through the early 2000s, the only history we had on our evangelical Protestant bookstore shelves in regard to martyrdom was Fox's Book of Martyrs. We didn't have stories of the Ugandan martyrs, right? We didn't have stories of the martyrs of Vietnam, right? Uh, The martyrs of Korea, uh, all these extraordinary Catholic heroes throughout the generations and throughout the world. We had one volume. We had Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it was the whole perspective, right? And if you only read Fox's Book of Martyrs, I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar, what you get is, you know, uh, the Apostles, Polycarp, one, two, skip a few, Mary Tudor is killing everybody. I mean, that's kind of what you get. Yeah, and again, balance. you mentioned, of course, you get martyrs and martyrs from other parts of the world, but we need to remember the English martyrs, John, uh, John Fisher, Thomas More. 40 canonized in English martyrs, mostly during the reign of Elizabeth I, uh, Mary Tudor's successor. So, no, so, Mary, so Elizabeth I gets sort of carte blanche because of the history written by the victors. Um, and she's not known as Bloody Bess, which she should be, but Mary is known as Bloody Mary. This is obviously bias. Um, there, there, there are many, many Catholic martyrs for over 150 years. Um, the, yeah, the Protestants had to, had to endure, endure just a, a few short years. Uh, under the reign of Mary Tudor, the, Eng- the, the English Catholics had to endure 150 years of ex- not just persecution, but execution. Well, it doesn't. it's not just an issue on the international stage uh, or when it comes to a civil war. Uh, even in just regular relationships, if you spend time pointing out uh, which things that the other person did worse— <laughs> You know, over and over again, you're not going to keep any kind of relationship. And so we know that that's not the world's greatest way to uh, to come to reconciliation and to, and to figure out how to move ahead. But it turns out that when Mary when Mary's reign ends, we get into that terrible territory that we're going to discuss soon. But how does Mary's reign end? Well, she, di- she, she dies uh, tragically young, and to be fair to her, Although, you know, following, following the, uh, the, the advice of her privy council, of her advisors, she took that, that, that step of, of, of uh, executing uh, Protestant heretics. Uh, uh, you know, although that obviously is something we don't want to endorse, absolutely, she did live a very pious life. Her faith was at the center of her life. Um, and, you know, t- t- she, she basically was a good woman, a good queen, which, uh, apart from this act, which, again, we can keep saying we're not endorsing, but, you know, that she tried to practice what she preached. She tried to give back the church property, which we discussed last week. Um, she, she put her faith in Jesus Christ above her worldly power, none of which could be said of either her father, Henry VIII, or her y- younger sister, half-sister, uh, Elizabeth I. So, you know, we, 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 yes, she has a tarnished reputation, and quite rightly so. But is she as black or as bloody as, as history would make her? No, seeing things in the full context of what's happening at the time, she's at least no worse than uh, her father and her half-sister. And I would actually say considerably less worse. Well, thank you so much, Joseph Pierce. You can find his book, Faith of Our Fathers, linked at Sunrise Morning Show. 
MedishareMedishare.com. We're back with headlines after this. It's 16 past. Support is for MediShare. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into. And that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save many families up to 500 bucks a month. And that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 844-55-BIBLE. That's 844-55-BIBLE. 844-55-BIBLE. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. Hosting Women Made New has helped me deepen my own faith, and I look forward to every weekend having those in-depth discussions with my guests. It's been such a blessing being a part of the EWTN family and carry on the mission that Mother Angelica started. Women Made New, Saturday noon Eastern on EWTN Radio. 18 minutes past the hour, here's Anna with headlines. Legendary diplomat Henry Kissinger has died. He was 100 years old. The truce between Israel and Hamas is being extended for another day, and Pope Francis has sent greetings to the ecumenical patriarch of Constantinople to celebrate today's feast of St. Andrew the Apostle. It's a big uh, big ecumenical feast, an east and west kind of thing going on. Um, yeah, Anna Mitchell, I wanted to get back to uh, Pope Francis's quote, and I wish I, I had it up, and I wondered if like you still have it. He talked about the idea of uh, acquiring a um, a received... I, I wish I could remember that I had it just a second ago. Uh, how when we're trying to tr- transmit the faith, it's not the, the merely like acquiring some sort of a talent... Oh sure, hang on one second. Let me. Uh, I can't believe that this thing up his general audience. It's the, it's the general audience. Oh come on. We could even say that we find <laughs> ourselves first, and I'm just going to read the quotes from here yeah. and tell me where which one you're looking for. Um, he says Jesus can be proclaimed only by inhabiting the culture of one's own time and always taking to heart the words of the Apostle Paul about the present. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Okay, Apostolic zeal. Oh, okay. Yes. Apostolic zeal is never a simple repetition of an acquired style, but testimony that the gospel is alive today here for us. Uh, I don't know about you, but that one's just like 
zinged out to me. Apostolic zeal is never a simple repetition of an acquired style. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this is so fascinating to me because, uh, you know, having an experience of various people in formation to be pastors and experiencing lots of, you know, revival stuff and seeing the explosion of TV preachers and podcasters and everything, it can be so easy to lean on a delivery style. Yeah. Right? To lean on personality and have that be sort of a substitute for apostolic zeal. And people can be very compelling. Yeah. Very compelling. Well, think orders. of how many movements die out when the leader dies, yeah. whoever that is. Well, the line right before this is, I went back and read this. The line right before this is, is wow. It says, a truth does not become more credible because one raises one's voice in speaking it, but because it is witnessed with one's life. It reminds me of Paul VI that? who said. Ex formerly known as Twitter. Go yeah. Ahead. Yeah. Like Paul VI, we listen to teachers if they're witnesses. It's 21 past. Owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. If I asked you to identify someone named Zaphonat Panea, you'd probably be at a loss. Here's his story. He was deprived of his homeland while still a young man. He ended up marrying into an influential family in his new homeland. He and his wife were blessed with two sons. He was blessed in many other ways, too. Ultimately, he was in such a position as to help his entire family survive a devastating famine. By now, you may have guessed who this mystery figure is. His more familiar name is Joseph, son of Jacob. Joseph, who rose from deprivation to become the second most powerful figure in Egypt. Zaphonat Panea was the name Pharaoh gave him at the time he received his promotion in Egypt. But surely for all of us, Joseph is the name that we love. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. With us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo with the McGrath Institute for Church Life at Notre Dame. He's host of the Church Life Today podcast and author of the book we've been going through together, A God Who Questions, from our Sunday visitor. Good morning, Dr. DeLorenzo. Good morning, Annie. It's good to have you back. And today's question from Jesus concerns the Sabbath. This is Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand, and they watched him to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, 
Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Wow, destroy Jesus because he healed a guy on the Sabbath? But can you tell us first, Dr. DeLorenzo, like the purpose of this commandment? I mean, it's one of the Ten Commandments to keep holy the Sabbath. Ultimately, I, I suppose we could say the purpose of the commandment is for Israel and then following them, all of us, to remember the Lord's deeds of liberation and mercy upon us. For Israel, it is the reminder of the Lord's deed of liberation in Exodus, where they observe and recall the way in which God led them out of slavery into freedom. It instituted when God gives them the manna in the desert. Of course, it's reflected back in the first creation account when the Lord in six days creates and orders the entire cosmos, and then on the seventh day observes a day of rest. But there is no work that follows that day of rest. It is the culmination of all those days of work. And so for Israel in their six days of work and their seventh day of rest, that seventh day of rest, in other words, is what it's all for. It's all for worship. It's all for the remembrance of God's deeds. It is all for living and giving in mercy. So then talk about why the Lord of the Sabbath would do this good work on the Sabbath. And that's in some ways what the Pharisees are seeing. I think there's a way in which when we encounter this passage, we are brought into a pharisaical vision. We come mm. to see this as a test, which is to say, here is uh, a sort of scenario. And what this is really about is to see if this man, Jesus, will break the Mosaic law. But what we don't see is what Jesus sees, which is a man who is in need and indeed in need of mercy. And so when the Pharisees look upon this scenario, they don't see a man. They see, they don't see a suffering man. What they see is a test of their own religious observance. It's a way of seeing their own righteousness. And so they're waiting to see if Jesus will act as a physician, if he will do something on this Sabbath, and therefore, in their vision, break this pro prohibition against work, which ought to be and ought to lead to worship. Mm -hmm. But of course, Jesus turns this all on his head because he sees what's really at stake. Yeah, absolutely. So how does this then open up to us as as Christians the, the true meaning and purpose of the Lord's Day for us? What Jesus sees here is a man who is in need of mercy. And in fact, the way of seeing this, I think, through Jesus's eyes and not the Pharisees' eyes, is that worship of the Lord is intended for all. And this man who brings forth his own suffering is indeed uh, sort of engaging in an act of worship. The one before him is the Lord with the power to heal him, and he offers his suffering. He makes it known to him. This is something that we ourselves today can and should do in our worship. Bring our needs, bring our sufferings to the Lord. That's a way of honoring and worshiping the Lord. 
But what Jesus does here is also an act of worship, we could say. He has mercy on the one who is suffering. He does something to alleviate and heal that suffering. Now, we ourselves, when we encounter those who might be crippled, who might have the withered hands around us, we may not have the power to take away their ailment directly, but we do have the power to alleviate their suffering in some way, to join them in their condition and to be one with them. That is to say, to exercise mercy. And so from both sides, what the man does in presenting his suffering and what Jesus does in alleviating the suffering are two sides of a, sim- of a single act of worship. Worship really is about communion, being one together with the Lord and with one another. So what we see here, I think, is the beginning, sort of the carving out of a Eucharistic worship, to receive from the Lord and to give back to the Lord. And by giving back to the Lord, we give to one another the wor- the mercy that is needed. So you mean to tell me that when Father says, go forth, the Mass is ended, he doesn't mean go forth to sit on the couch and watch the football game by yourself? Well, I mean, it, sometimes I take it that way, but no, <laughs> I, know, I think right? really it's it's not supposed to be that. That's true, that we are to respond to the gift we receive by giving in kind. Of course, we can't generate the charity that the Lord generates, which comes from nothing, which comes only from his will. What we do is we respond to the Lord's charity. And I imagine this man who once presented his suffering to the Lord is now free to worship even more fully because he can offer his gratitude as well. And perhaps his vision will be liberated from the bind of the Pharisees, the Pharisees who only see a test. This man will now see the opportunities perhaps to be about the alleviation of other suffering in response to the deed that the Lord did for him. That is an act of worship. And that truly is what time is for, what the Sabbath preserves and points to. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Leonard Lorenzo. You can find his book, A God Who Questions linked at sonrisemorningshow.com. Click on the show notes for today. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Legendary diplomat Henry Kissinger has died. He was 100 years old. Kissinger served as national security advisor to the Nixon administration from 1969 to 1975 and was best known for guiding American foreign policy during the Vietnam War. He was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1973. The truce between Israel and Hamas is being extended for another day. The Israeli military has now said the temporary ceasefire in Gaza will continue for another day for the, quote, process of releasing hostages and subject to the terms of the agreement, end quote. The six-day truce was set to end at 7 a.m. local time today following the release of 16 Hamas captives in exchange for 30 Palestinian prisoners being held by Israel. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis appealed for the continuation of the ceasefire in Gaza. From Vatican Radio, Joseph Tollock reports. Auspico che prosegua la tregua in corso a Gaza. I hope that the truce underway in Gaza might continue so that all the hostages might be freed and the necessary humanitarian aid might be able to enter. May we please continue to pray for the serious situation in Israel and Palestine, the Pope said. Peace, please, peace, he said, calling for the temporary ceasefire to be extended. The Pope noted that he had recently spoken by phone with Gaza's Catholic parish of the Holy Family. 
They don't have water. They don't have bread. Ordinary people are suffering. The people are suffering, he said. It's not those who make the war who are suffering. Let us now, the Pope added, ask for peace. And let us not forget, while asking for peace, the dear Ukrainian people, who are suffering a lot and still fighting a war. War is always a defeat, the Pope said. Everyone loses. Fratelli e sorelle, la guerra sempre è una sconfitta. Tutti perdono. I'm Joseph Tolek. Pope Francis has sent greetings to the ecumenical patriarch of Constantinople, Patriarch Bartholomew, as is customary on this feast of St. Andrew the Apostle. He said, I send fervent good wishes to you, dear brother in Christ, for the feast of the Apostle St. Andrew, brother of St. Peter and Protocletos, heavenly patron and protector of the Church of Constantinople and the ecumenical patriarchate. He said, On this feast day, let us fervently pray to God, our merciful Father, that the clamor of arms, which brings only death and destruction, may cease, and that government and religious leaders may always seek the path of dialogue and reconciliation. And may the holy apostles Peter and Andrew intercede for all peoples and obtain for them the gifts of fraternal communion and peace, end quote. Suicide deaths are at a record high. According to CDC data, more people died by suicide in 2022 than any other year on record since at least 1941. While the newest data shows improvement in rates among children and teens, rates for all other age groups went up. Nearly 50,000 lives total were lost due to suicide in 2022. Men were about four times more likely than women to die by intentional self-harm with the highest rates among senior men. But women's suicide rates increased twice as much in 2022, with especially severe increases in white women and women in their late 20s and early 30s. J.P. Morgan Chase is warning that inflation could rise more and a recession is still possible. Lisa Taylor has the story. CEO Jamie Dimon said at the New York Times Deal Book Summit in New York that interest rates could continue to go up. He noted that governments across the world needing more money for their militaries and to address energy crises could contribute to inflation. Dimon said that while the U.S. labor market has been stable, inflation is hurting people. I'm Lisa Taylor. All public colleges and universities in Massachusetts must submit a medication abortion readiness plan with a deadline set for today, the order is part of a 2022 law protecting abortion and so-called gender-affirming care in Massachusetts. Governor Mara Healy announced last week that a toolkit had been created to help the schools prepare. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on EWTN Radio. It's 35 minutes past. The Got a coffee lover on your Christmas list this year? Give them the gift of Mystic Monk Coffee. The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of seasonal blends that would make for a great Christmas morning brew. And when you purchase it, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you support the monks and the show. If your coffee lover is also a fan of the Sunrise Morning Show, pick up a mug or travel mug for them in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. 
you can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Baltimore Catechism asks, What must we do to receive the sacrament of penance worthily? To receive the sacrament of penance worthily, we must do five things. First, we must examine our conscience. St. Ignatius of Loyola recommended it as one of the chief acts that a Christian can do to prepare himself for grace. Second, we must have sorrow for our sins. Because in order to be truly forgiven, you must be truly sorry. Third, we must make a firm resolution never more to offend God. Fourth, we must confess our sins to the priest. Why? Because our Lord gave us the priests to forgive our sins. Fifth, we must accept the penance which the priest gives us. Whatever the penance may be, let us accept it as something gracious and salutary remedy to all the sin that we have committed. We thank the Lord then for giving us the means to receive the grace through the sacrament of penance in these five ways. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on this Feast of St. Andrew the Apostle. Pray for us. Father Robert Nixon joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a Benedictine at New Norcia in Australia, translator of the Tan Resurrection Series. We've been going through St. Albert the Great's the paradise of the soul. Father, welcome back. Thank you, Annie. It's great to be with you today. It is great to have you. And today we are going to get St. Albert's teaching on the virtue of chastity. And just like Jesus does not let us get away with just the minimum requirements for being chaste, tell us how he describes the virtue of chastity. So he talks about perfect chastity as not only restraining the body from acts of purity, but even to keep the soul free from lustful desires. So it's something which goes deep into the heart, into our our thoughts, our orientations, the movements of our soul. So it's a, a he talks about embracing charity is to embrace a kind of purity of heart. Mm. And so then... What are the fruits of chastity, does he say? He talks about one of the fruits as being liberty of soul. And I think this is something which we can easily recognize, um, you know, in our observances of human nature, that it's often lust which actually entraps people into, into behavior, into situations, into actions, which really undermine their own unhappiness. Um, and so through the cultivation of chastity, there's this great freedom of, of the soul being um, truly master of its own actions rather than being controlled by the impulses of the flesh. And he encourages us to desire this, not just, I mean, we've talked about this in, in previous chapters, that 
our desire for chastity should not simply be because, well, I just want to get to heaven someday, and so I got to do this to get to heaven. Yeah. Yeah, but he, he speaks about it as being an emulation of the life of Jesus Christ himself, and also an emulation of the purity of the Blessed Virgin. And of course, he was speaking, he was primarily writing this book for people in religious life, to whom that model of virginity um, was particularly pertinent. But I think it applies to everyone in some way or the other, that the reason why saints are able to attain this great purity, this freedom of soul, um, is because they cultivate, they've mastered this chastity. They're not dominated by the lower impulses of their nature. And, of course, with St. Albert being in religious life, um, was, I'm sure, very familiar with practical ways to to foster Absolutely. chastity. So can you so talk about he that? Gives some, yeah, he gives some wonderful advice. And I think even though it's written in the Middle Ages, it's actually still very true um, yeah. today. He speaks about moderate and sparing consumption of food. And a little later also speaks about moderate consumption of alcohol. So um, these things, what we put into ourselves, I think really affect our behavior. And in the Middle Ages, they believed that if you ate a lot of red meat, if you ate a lot of rich food and so forth, um, it would incline you towards lust. And even though huh. we probably think well, it's not really true, I think there is actually still a degree of truth in it yeah. that um, overeating, overdrinking certainly lead to a lot of bad human behavior. He also speaks about wearing simple clothing. In other words, dressing modestly. And I think that's so important that people should respect themselves and dress worthy of their dignity. Never dress in a way which is designed to make them um, an object of, of desire, of, of lustful desire to others. He speaks about avoiding um, places and situations in which we know there is immodesty, in which we know that lustful desires are likely to be inflamed. And I think this is such a, a wise piece of advice. If we know that we're in a particular situation, in particular company, in particular actions where we're likely, where our thoughts are likely to get out of our control, then to avoid those situations, to be prudent about the situations in life in which we put ourselves. Yeah, avoid the near occasion of sin. It's so interesting, this, to to yeah. limit eating and drinking but when when you really think yeah. about it and maybe you can expand on this but if you're able yeah. to control yourself in other ways or to the to, to look it, at it, it the opposite it, if you're it, willing to indulge exactly. then then you're more yeah. likely to give yourself a pass in other ways Th that's 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 exactly right because the um impulses of the flesh the more we um, feed them, the more we gratify them, um, the more powerful they become. And if a person isn't able to control themselves to say, you know, no to a dessert or no to an extra drink or whatever like that, they're going to be ill-equipped to um, say no when a more serious temptation comes along. Mm -hmm. So this deliberate practice of self-denial and this self-denial isn't a negative thing, but it's putting our mind and our soul in control of our body, which is the way it's really supposed to be. He also talks us uh, about being careful about 
company, that we should never assume that anyone, a man or a woman, as the case may be, um, we should never assume that our interactions with them or that their intentions are um, completely free of lustful impulses. And, uh, you know, um, this doesn't mean we have to be, like, suspicious of everyone, but at the same time, he talks about avoiding, um, you know, situations where we know that there might be occasions for, for lust and so forth. And I think that really applies um, today in all kinds of situations. And certainly applies particularly for priests involved in pastoral ministry, where we have to, um, you know, be aware of complexities of human relationships that are going on all the time. Yeah, he cites St. Gregory saying the person who has been conquered by love of earthly things finds no delight in God. And then St. Albert goes on to say, for the human soul is never able to be without some desire or source of delight. We can either love those things which are lower or those which are higher. The more the heart aspires to the higher realities, the more detached it becomes from the lower things. And conversely, the more it burns with desire for earthly things, the more tepid and feeble grow its aspirations for celestial delights. It cannot love both things of the earth and the things of heaven in an equal manner at the same time. And so, Father, how does St. Albert go on to, to show, um, well, go on to pray for the virtue of chastity? So in praying for the virtue of chastity, he says, Lord, subdue in me all the wicked and disordered impulses of the senses. Cleanse my heart from self-will and from every impure thought. Grant to me a heart which is clean, pure, and enamored with your own spirit of chastity, by means of which I shall be able to preserve my body and soul from all stain of corruption. And I think this is that if our love is focused on Jesus, on God, on eternity, then earthly things, things of the flesh become only secondary. And then that places us in a position to be the master of our own actions, of our own thoughts and desires. He says, Lord, I realize that without your grace, I am utterly incapable of this. You ask of me chastity. Firstly, grant to me, I beseech you, the grace whereby I may be faithful to this intention. For without your grace, I can do nothing at all. Some beautiful words from St. Albert the Great on the virtue of chastity, which you can read more about in The Paradise of the Soul, which is translated by Father Robert Nixon and linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, thank you. Thank you so much, Annie. God bless you and God bless all your listeners. And you as well, Father. Thank you very much. All right, it's 14 till our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast, joins us next. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. 
I have been a school sister of Notre Dame for 72 years. Most senior Catholic sisters, brothers, and religious order priests serve for years with little pay. I always taught the primary grades, and I loved it. Today, hundreds of religious communities lack retirement funds. Your gift to the Retirement Fund for Religious helps provide medications and care. Please give to those who have given a lifetime. Thank you, and God bless you a hundredfold. Donate at your local parish. Got a coffee lover on your Christmas list this year? Give them the gift of Mystic Monk Coffee. The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of seasonal blends that would make for a great Christmas morning brew. And when you purchase it, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you support the monks and the show. If your coffee lover is also a fan of the Sunrise Morning Show, pick up a mug or travel mug for them in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Proclaiming the faith, changing lives. The year is 2019. EWTN launches ASI Africa, a Nairobi, Kenya-based Catholic news agency, which will publish in English, French, and Portuguese for the African continent. To learn more about Mother Angelica's life and the history of EWTN, visit EWTN.com slash Mother Angelica. up later this morning on more to life we'll be taking your calls and helping you celebrate the life you were meant to live tune in to more to life 10 a.m eastern 9 central on ewtn radio now back to the sunrise morning show the sunrise morning show continues on this feast of saint andrew the apostle happy feast day to all the andrews the andres the andreases the Andes listening this morning. Kevin Prendergast now joining us, a pastoral counselor who's got decades of experience in the classroom and private practice uh, as a licensed counselor. Kevin, good morning. Matt, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, as we uh, you know wind down the month of November and head towards you know talking less about death in November and more about birth <laughs> in December, mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. with Jesus, I think uh, it's a great opportunity to kind of. Uh, conclude this series we've been doing by really focusing on how do we maintain that connection with mm-hmm. those who have gone on. And there are a bunch of different ways that people do this, but the Catholic Church really has some like concrete tools for us, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm always uh, amazed or grateful when I see that some really, really good psychologists kind of come up with exactly some of the same principles that we find in our Catholic faith. So we've been talking about these four tasks of grief uh, that were kind of outlined by Dr. William Warden. You know, in the first three, you know, just accepting that somebody has died and kind of getting our mind around that, that takes a while. Uh, We talked about the emotional process of grieving and all the ups and downs and the roller coaster of that. And then adapting to a world where our beloved is no longer there and, and trying to accept that. And then this last one, and I like the way that he puts it, to find ways to remember the deceased and build an enduring connection while embarking on the rest of one's life's journey, right? So that's very interesting that just from secular psychology, you know, he he says that it's so important to have that enduring connection. Well, that resonates with our belief in the communion of saints uh, in life everlasting. And I think there's a sense just in human beings, whether they're Catholic or Christian or not, is this can't be all there is, right? Right, right. There's got to be more. Yeah. We've talked about this in so many different ways with so many different guests. 
uh, as we've explored the angles of this, but one that immediately comes to mind is that, uh, you know, Rita Heikenfeld talks about those family recipes that get passed down. Mm-hmm. Uh, in yep. some ways, uh, a secular person with no sense of the communion of saints in the way that we understand it still feels something of that, right, when they make something that a loved one <laughs> used to eat or was known for making. I, th- I think that's just one of those sort of deeply yep. human things that the church gets. Yeah, and in cultures all around the world, you know, whatever the religious belief is, uh, people don't just say, well, that's it, that's over, I'm not going to think about the dead person, they're gone, they'll never be back. So we have these ways to connect in our Catholic faith of, you know, uh, having an intention set at Mass, uh, praying for the dead, praying a rosary, little rituals, uh, meditating, you know, lighting a candle, keeping a photograph, and then I think there's some other profound ones that help with this one, because like we talked about last time, that oftentimes people get stuck in grief and they just can't move on with their life. And so this this question of, you know, if your beloved deceased was sitting here right now, what would they want you to do? So particularly, you know, for younger uh, widows and widowers, you know, the idea that, well, I had my, my one and only, my soulmate, and so I just have to be alone for the rest of my life. Maybe that's a path that some people take that's very honorable. Uh, but does that mean that I, you know, I give up any kind of connection with other people, any kind of emotional intimacy, because I'm, you know, honoring in the wrong way uh, my beloved in that relationship? And then I think, you know, most people will answer that, that they want me to go on. They don't want me to stay stuck and depressed and miserable all the time. And so we have to wrestle with that. And that's not easy of trying to figure out, well, I I am grateful for what I shared with uh, the person who is so close to me. But what can I learn? Like, you know, maybe by thinking about their life, what were some of the, the, you know, everybody's got good and bad and that's part of what we talked about. We have to come to terms with the imperfection uh, of somebody that we loved who's gone. But we can also think about what what did they do that was honorable, that was good? Were they people of service? Do they have some special interest? Do they make contributions? And what does that mean for me? Can I continue to contribute, right? And I think this idea of gratitude in the month of November is also, along with grief, of thinking back on on the good and the bad, but, you know, hopefully the good outweighs the bad. And sometimes I found that with people that I had a lot of trouble with that sometimes it's only after they're gone, after some time, that I appreciate them more. And then I have this very deep feeling that I'm more connected to them now than I were at the time, than I was at the time of their death. That maybe I've worked through some of those resentments that I had. You know, I thought back, I prayed about it. I asked God to forgive them for whatever they had done to me. And that frees me to move forward rather than staying stuck in anger and resentment and bitterness. And then to think, what can I contribute? I think the last point would be um, uh, none of us are going to get out of this alive, right? So so that, you know, I too will pass on someday. And then, you know, now that this very dear person to me is gone, uh, it really makes me aware of the shortness of life. But what am I going to do with that time? And what's what's Christ asking me to do? What what more can I do for Christ for the other people in my life? Maybe, but you know, what kinds of amends and reparation do I need to make for the rest of my life? So there's something very positive that I can, you know, even though I'm really sad. And we've talked before that do we ever get over missing the person who's gone? I don't think so. <laughs> you know, it ebbs and flows, and we get it gets a little better. We get some more peace, but by these ways of you know, maybe starting a foundation, making a contribution, 
um, maybe carrying on a work that, that my beloved uh, person who's gone now, maybe they started some kind of project or ministry or service, and that inspires me to do the same thing or maybe to adapt it in ways that fit my personality and gifts. So that's very hopeful, and I think that's, like you said, at the lead-in, you know, we go from grieving and sadness and darkness into the season coming up now of Advent of light and hope. And we can be hopeful even when we feel bad, right? We can yeah. still have faith in, in our Lord even when we're, when we're hurting. Well, I think uh, when you talk about giving in someone's name, uh, that's mm -hmm. such a powerful thing to think about as we transition towards Advent. And one of the first feasts that we get every Advent is the Feast of St. Nicholas, who mm -hmm. has probably one of the largest legacies of people giving in his name of anybody who ever lived. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. And, yeah. and, and think about the impact that that's had. Think about how many people are generous to strangers in honor of the witness of St. Nicholas. Like, mm -hmm. imagine if we were to, uh, you know, find something that, you know, we could help out with and give in that person's name, something we know that they'd be yeah. in favor of, that they know that they would support, or that they even support it in their own life. Uh, what a yeah. powerful way. Right, so we miss them, but their their leaving us uh, inspires us to more generosity and service, which is a good good outcome, right? Very good, very good. Kevin Prendergast, yeah. thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, man. Take care. And, of course, if you want to be generous to Catholic Radio along the way, we would appreciate that as well. SunriseMorningShow.com, EWTN, and your local affiliate. Back with more after the break. It's three minutes till. We continue on this Thursday, the 30th of November, the Feast of St. Andrew the Apostle, by praying the Christmas Novena, which starts today in honor of St. Andrew. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hail and blessed be the hour and moment in which the Son of God was born of the most pure Virgin Mary at midnight in Bethlehem in the piercing cold. In that hour vouchsafe, I beseech thee, O my God, to hear my prayer and grant my desires through the merits of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and of his blessed Mother. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. St. Andrew the Apostle, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We are glad that you are along here on a Thursday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And Travis has got our video feed up and running. You can check it out on YouTube and through the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Up this hour, we'll talk to Dr. John Bergsma, who's been talking about Love Basics for Catholics, his book on the way that love is expressed between God and his people throughout the scriptures. Rita Heikenfeld will have some gifts from the kitchen. Maybe you have some people you want to buy stuff for, but they don't need stuff. Well, Rita's going to have some great ideas for you of things that you can make and give, which I think is more meaningful. I mean, I like it when people make me stuff. Gary Machuda is going to be along as well as we continue through his book, The Gospel Truth, and we'll check in with Marlon De La Torre at the end of the hour. Please do stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. 
Here's Anna Mitchell with news. It's a service of... Sorry, I messed that up. It's a service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna. Good morning. Henry Kissinger, one of the most influential diplomats of the 20th century, has died. He was 100 years old. Kissinger served as national security advisor to the Nixon administration from 1969 to 1975, also served as secretary of state in his career. He was best known for guiding American foreign policy during the Vietnam War. He was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1973 after a ceasefire agreement was concluded between the U.S. and Vietnam. The truce between Israel and Hamas is being extended for another day. The Israeli military has said now that the temporary ceasefire in Gaza will continue for another day for the, quote, process of releasing hostages and subject to the terms of the agreement. The six-day truce was set to end at 7 a.m. local time today following the release of 16 Hamas captives in exchange for 30 Palestinian prisoners being held by Israel. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis appealed for the continuation of the ceasefire in Gaza so that all the hostages might be freed and the necessary humanitarian aid might be able to enter. In his catechesis at the general audience yesterday, Pope Francis said, Christians are called to fill pessimistic societies with the joy of the gospel. From Vatican Radio, Joseph Tollock reports. One almost always hears bad things being said today, he said, admitting that wars, climate change and widespread injustices do lend credence to this contemporary pessimism. The Pope said that technological progress and individualism frequently combine to hand over our natural desires for greatness to, quote, voracious economic logic. We could even say that we find ourselves the first civilization in history that globally seeks to organize a human society without the presence of God, concentrated in huge cities that remain horizontal despite their vertiginous skyscrapers. He said that the biblical Tower of Babel jumps to mind when considering this situation, and he noted that the temptation for a unified human thought is to descend into nationalism and a thirst for power. He then went on to offer a more positive outlook on contemporary culture, noting that the gospel offers a message of hope for every age, including our own. Apostolic zeal is never a simple repetition of an acquired style, but the testimony that the gospel is alive today here for us, the church, he continued, must go out into the streets of our world to foster encounter and unity rather than shouting the name of Jesus from a balcony. In conclusion, the Pope said that the church should be at the crossroads of society so that Christians may fill our pessimistic societies with the hope and joy of the gospel. I'm Joseph Tollock. Pope Francis has written to ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew of Constantinople, as is customary on today's feast. He said, quote, I send fervent good wishes to you, dear brother in Christ, for the feast of the Apostle St. Andrew, brother of St. Peter and Protocletos, heavenly patron and protector of the Church of Constantinople and the ecumenical patriarchate. He said, on this feast day of the Apostle Andrew, let us fervently pray to God, our merciful Father, that the clamor of arms, which brings only death and destruction, may cease, and that government and religious leaders may always seek the path of dialogue and reconciliation. May the holy apostles Peter and Andrew, he said, intercede for all peoples and obtain for them the gifts of fraternal communion and peace. Google's former CEO says artificial intelligence could endanger humanity within the decade. 
Lisa Taylor has more. In an interview at Axios AI Plus Summit, Eric Schmidt said AI development is similar to the development of nuclear weapons at the end of World War II. The dangers of AI begin when the computer can start to make its own decision to do things, including discovering weapons. I'm Lisa Taylor. And a professional soccer, or should we say football club from Scotland, is taking to the phrase when in Rome, the Celtic football club met, or is it Celtic? In Scotland, do they say Celtic or Celtic? I don't know. I think everybody except for the Boston basketball team says Celtic. Okay. The Celtic Football Club met with Pope Francis during their visit to Rome for the UEFA Champions match against Lazio. The Pope told the players to be good role models and that winning isn't everything. And, well, then they lost. Well, I mean, (laughs) they said that winning isn't everything and then they lost. I mean, but whatever. It's a good. It's a. It's a feel good story. It's a feel. Is it the feel good story. story of the year? I don't know, but I know that people are looking at that because December starts tomorrow. Yeah. What will be the feel good story of the year? Which, by the way, speaking of all the things that start today, we'll talk more about Saint Andrew in a moment. But today, the uh, the Christmas novena mm-hmm. starts. Some people pray that uh, every day up mm-hmm. until Christmas. And I was just thinking, Anna Mitchell, as I was reading through it and hearing some stuff that you were saying uh, in your interview with Father Nixon. We Catholics, I'm telling you, we are all about beseeching God to vouchsafe stuff. Oh, man. I know, right? Every day I'm beseeching. Everybody, every day. Beseeching I'm still God will vouchsafe things. When you said that making gifts is more meaningful. Which I think is more meaningful. Yes, of course it is. If anybody's thinking about getting me anything, I don't need any things. I want, like, things I can eat, awesome. things I can burn. So Stuff like you, that. um, like just after you get I done talking to Gary Machuda, you're like booking it out of town to get here to Cincinnati yes. to be sitting right next to me tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, we got to figure out how this. Gonna so work you're on telling me I need to buy like a box of Skyline to send back no, with that's you good. for Christmas? Do you want your know. Christmas gift? I don't know how much room I have in my bag. Early, we'll okay. see. All right, well, I'll think about it anyway. Today is Thursday, November the 30th. It is the Feast of St. Andrew the Apostle. It is also my dad's birthday. Happy birthday, Dad. It's eight past. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. John Bergsma. We've been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. It is good to have you back. And we are starting in on your chapter devoted to St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 5. But you actually start off this chapter unpacking what Jesus taught about marriage during his ministry here on earth. So we are going to look at Matthew chapter 19 today. This is, uh, let's see, verses 3 through 9 is what I'm going to read right now. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one? So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. They said to him, 
Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, for your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for unchastity and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So unpack what is going on here, Dr. Bergsma. So there was a big debate actually raging among the Pharisees about what were proper grounds of divorce. And one side of the debate was very restrictive and said, you know, there's only, only for the most serious things uh, could one divorce one's wife. And back in those days, it was always on the husband's side. And on the other side of the debate with the Pharisees, there's a very loose situation. I mean, th- there's some shocking things Anna said in some of the rabbinic literature hmm. that, uh, oh, hey, if you just see a prettier girl or if she uh, burns your supper or whatever, uh, you can divorce. And um, so there's a, yeah, exactly. It is, it is kind of shocking and a bit disturbing. But anyway, uh, <laughs> This whole spectrum of, of opinion was, was raging among the Pharisees. And so, naturally, the Pharisees come to Jesus and ask his opinion. And Jesus is a good teacher of the law. And what our Lord does is he goes back to the very beginning, before the fall into sin. And he uses that to establish um, what God's highest and best intention was for marriage. And he says, if you go all the way back to the beginning... It's uh, one man and one woman, and it says um, in uh, Scripture, the two shall become one. That's what we call a passive voice, where you don't directly express the subject. Who is doing the joining? Well, Jews often use that passive voice construction to avoid mentioning the name of God, which was sacred and out of reverence. You know, they would say, rather than God did something, they would say something was done, reverently Hmm. implying God. And Jesus interprets uh, Genesis 2 here as implying it's God who does the joining, and therefore we should not break it. So this is Jesus, the perfect rabbi, giving a beautiful exposition of the Law of Moses, and explain that properly read, the law of Moses teaches lifelong, indissoluble matrimony. Well, this goes back to, you mentioned in your book, Deuteronomy chapter 24 is what they are uh, referring to, the Pharisees, when, um, when they bring this question to Jesus. And I, I think the use of verbiage here is interesting. So the Pharisees ask, why does Moses command a man divorce his wife? And Jesus says God, that Moses allowed it because of the hardness of their hearts. I imagine that the choice of words here is important. It is. If you go back to the passage in question, Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, you find that Moses never commands anyone to divorce his wife. Actually, that law is a long, complicated situation where Moses says, you know, if a woman 
divorce her husband, remarries another guy, and then goes back. She can't remarry her first husband. It's, it's very complicated, and mm-hmm. that would get us way into a rabbit trail sure. to discuss what's actually going on there. But the point of it is Moses, you know, tacitly acknowledges that this occurs, but he never commands anyone to do it. And so the um, Pharisees are kind of over-reading even what Moses says. Our Lord acknowledges, yes, Moses allowed this, but he allowed it with reticence because of hardness of heart. Sometimes a lawgiver will allow something that really is not the best, but he'll allow it because he doesn't want a rebellion on his hands. And that's what was going on in the case of Moses. And so you started off this conversation talking about how the Catholic Church gets marriage right, and it's um, in in the interpretation of, of this passage particularly, I think. Absolutely. Um, so the issue here, especially, Anna, is uh, in Matthew's version of this encounter, um, we often read in many translations, whoever divorces his wife except for unchastity. I think that's in the version that you read. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this is a, an occasion where I think that our New American Bible, uh, especially the Revised Edition, which is kind of the standard uh, Catholic translation in the U.S., actually does a real good job on this passage. Uh, they translated, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, unless the marriage is unlawful, and marries another, commits adultery. And I think that's actually the right way to interpret the uh, words of Matthew 19, 9 uh, in Jewish culture, because there was, for example, Anna, in the time of Jesus, a very highly prominent unlawful marriage, and that was between one of the Herods and his niece, this was the marriage that got John the Baptist beheaded right, you know, for right. speaking against it. That was an unlawful marriage. And so that's why this little clause is put in. Jesus wants to make clear, I'm not saying that, you know, Herod shouldn't separate from his niece, <laughs> because that is a unlawful marriage. But, uh, you know, provided it's lawful, it is indissoluble. We've been talking to Dr. John Bergsma. We'll leave it there for now. We've got several more segments to go on Jesus' teaching on marriage, but you can read about it at the beginning of his chapter on Ephesians 5 in his book, Love Basics for Catholics, which you can find linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Bergsma, thank you. Absolutely. It's always fun. I agree. All right. Coming up on 17 Pass now on the Sunrise Morning Show, we got headlines coming up next. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com 
and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The most original Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. On Mother Angelica Answering the Call, Father Joseph and Doug Keck mind decades of phone calls answered by Mother Angelica. Mother dishes out teaching, advice, laughter, and plenty of prayers as she takes calls from her family. Mother Angelica Answering the Call, Sunday afternoon, 2 Eastern, on EWTN Radio. 19 past, here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. Henry Kissinger, one of the most influential diplomats of the 20th century, has died at the age of 100. Israel has announced the truce with Hamas is being extended for another day. And Pope Francis has sent greetings to the ecumenical patriarch of Constantinople, as is customary on the Feast of St. Andrew the Apostle. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And on this Feast of St. Andrew, a happy feast day to those of you, uh, if anybody's listening in San Andreas, California. Nice. Uh, of course, in uh, Scotland, St. Andrews. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a that's a big deal. The Scottish flag even has the St. Andrew's X-shaped cross on it. But I don't know if you know this. He's also uh, patronage. His patronage extends to a few other countries. Uh, he shares patronage with some people in these places, but sure. Austria, Barbados, Germany, Greece, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, Romania, Russia, Spain, and Ukraine all have some sort of patronage of St. Andrew connected with them. I was just going to look. I don't know. I wonder. He met with that Scottish soccer team yesterday. Well, did it have something to do with this? I don't know if he mentioned St. Andrew. Wow. Maybe they stuck the around of... for today. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, by the way, St. Andrew, also patron saint of anglers. Anything related to fishing? Oh, yeah. Makes sense. Sailors. Mm-hmm. Rope makers because... He's the reason that Peter became an apostle. Like yeah, Andrew, Andrew was, was called first. first. The first called. Yeah. He was a disciple of John cool. the Baptist before, before he uh, became a disciple of the Lord. Yeah. St. Andrew the Apostle. Pray, Pray for, for us. us. It's 21 minutes past the hour. Seeing the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. They have a number of Christmas blends available, and when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug, available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, 
Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. Lord Jesus, who loves us so much, we have not loved you as we easily might have, nor served you enough in our neighbor as we could have. We are truly sorry for this unfaithful love and promise to do better in the future because you accept everything that we do in God's grace when done in a spirit of love and obedience as reparation. We now offer you and your heart our every thought, word, deed, and suffering in union with your own sufferings. Join our reparation to that which you ceaselessly offer to the Father in the Mass and in the silence of the tabernacle. Help us to suffer lovingly and to aid those who suffer. Make your redemptive love fruitful in the hearts of all those who will die today, so that all of us may love you forever in heaven. Amen. It is time for Bible Foods with Rita Heikenfeld from AboutEating.com. And this time of year, well, it's a great season for seasonal foods, but it's also a great time to think about um, how to make gifts for people. Rita, good morning. Well, good morning, and I'm just loving starting our annual Gifts from the Kitchen series. Well, we get to use some Bible foods and herbs in the process, and there is definitely a flavor associated with the season from candy canes to everything else. Uh, mint is certainly in the Bible. Oh, it is. And, and again, um, like you said, just such a popular flavor this time of year, Matt. Um, we have a very familiar passage in Luke in chapter 11 about him uh, talking about mint being one of the tithing herbs. I think that's so interesting. But here's the deal. The Hebrews, Greeks, and Romans uh, chewed mint leaves for digestion. So it's not only a great flavoring, it's good for your uh, digestion and headaches, and it's a great medicinal herb as well. Well, why don't you talk about the differences between spearmint and peppermint, then? Well, I think, to me, now, I want your opinion on this. I think spearmint has a sweeter taste and aroma. Um, I think you could substitute it in salads and even some candies. Now, peppermint's essential oil, Matt, is real strong. I mean, you'll notice it right away. And they can both be used in teas, but if you go to the store and uh, look for a mint tea, it's probably going to be peppermint. Um, I think that's the most popular. Do you have a favorite? Uh, I mean, I like spearmint. Um, I think it goes really well in tea, but, you know, it's hard to beat a good peppermint bark, as we're going to discuss here in just a little bit. Uh, That being said, you mentioned peppermint. Uh, essential oil. When it comes to mint, uh, well, actually, when it comes to anything, uh, what's the difference between an extract or an oil, if I'm going to be trying to use something in a recipe? Oh, good good point. Well, extracts are in, uh, made with alcohol, and it's like an infusion process. And then the oil is distilled actually from the essential oils in the leaves, Matt. Um, either one will work in this recipe for the bark, but here's, 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 again, a tip. Oil is more potent, and if you do use peppermint oil, I always say buy it in the bakery section to make sure it's the pure peppermint oil and not maybe just a fragrance oil. Um, the extract is more available, so you could use mo- either one. If you're going to use extract, you're going to use a little more than the oil. So 
That is a very important point. I just I didn't even think until you mentioned it that somebody might be looking for peppermint oil for a recipe and go into the household cleaner section and get like a peppermint flavored like one of those plug-in things. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. That's so true. Or one of those um, uh, they have little vials and you put a wooden like a skewer in it. So yeah, just oh, like be the careful. diffusers and those things. Right. Yeah. All that yeah. stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, you've got a peppermint bark recipe, and this is a great gift to give. Again, nobody needs more stuff. I mean, a few people do, but most people don't need more stuff, and this is a great recipe. I think the most important part of this recipe is how you melt the chocolate because that is an easy thing to get wrong if you're not familiar with what you're doing. But how does this peppermint bark recipe work? Oh, it, it's pretty easy. Um, it's a process, but it's pretty easy. And it's got two layers, a bottom layer of dark chocolate and then the top layer of uh, white chocolate and with some uh, crushed hard candy peppermint. But you're right, melting uh, chocolate, you have to do it carefully and slowly because uh, if you melt chocolate at a high heat, it's going to seize. So usually, I usually just... Um, have a, you can have a double boiler if you want to do it on the stove. If you don't have a double boiler, you can use just a bowl over simmering water. Some people like to use the microwave. Regardless, um, you just want to melt it slowly until you see a few lumps still unmelted, and you pull it off the heat, and this works for both the dark and the white. And as you stir it off the heat, those um, little pieces that remain will melt, and it will stay smooth, and it won't seize. Also, no water, because if the water, even steam gets in chocolate, it will seize. So basically, you're going to melt some dark chocolate um, for the bottom layer, and I add a little bit of vegetable oil, and that helps the flow. And um, you can stir some extract into that, and then just pour that on a foil-lined pan. And you put it in the fridge. Here's another tip. Until it's just almost completely set, not real hard. People have trouble with chocolate, uh, the bark separating, and if the, the first layer is too hard when you pull the, put the second layer on, it won't bond. Also mm. use really good quality chocolate, not uh, chocolate with palm oil, because that sometimes causes it to separate. So not getting too technical here. Basically, you melt the bottom layer. When it's almost set, um, you have the, the white chocolate melted, again, with a little oil, and you pour it on top, and then immediately you're going to sprinkle some candy bits, the hard peppermint candy. And then um, you just refrigerate that until it's set, about 20 minutes. And um, it should be pretty hard by then. But say you forgot it and it's in the fridge an hour or so, before you cut it or break it, let it sit at room temperature, um, and that helps prevent layers from separating. It's really easy, but the most trouble people have is using um, not using good quality chocolate or um, the layer separating because you know it's too cold, etc. So, seems it's simple. It's a process. It's a wonderful gift from the kitchen, especially for somebody who maybe need a lift spiritually. I think because that the peppermint aroma is uplifting as well. So, um, again, I've got it on my site. Uh, a whole primer on how to do it. Very easy. It makes a ton. A great gift from the kitchen. It is a great gift from the kitchen, and it's the kind of thing where, again, if somebody's going to uh, give me like a, a gift card or whatever, or they're going to make me peppermint bark, guess which one I'm going to be more excited about? <laughs> I'm going to be more excited about the thing that they spent time making, especially because this is the kind of thing, too, you can get your kids involved in. 
uh, very easily to make some of the stuff. You can write a little note. You can figure out a cool bag to put it in or a tin. And there's all these things that you can do with a gift made out of the kitchen. Rita Heikenfeld, we've got abouteating.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Have a wonderful day. Oh, I hope you do too, Matt. And I'll talk to you next week with even more fun gifts. Sounds great to me. Again, abouteating.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. Henry Kissinger, one of the most influential diplomats of the 20th century, has died. He passed away yesterday at his home in Connecticut at the age of 100. The former Secretary of State was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1973 after he negotiated a ceasefire agreement between the U.S. and Vietnam. He was also awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1977 and the Medal of Liberty in 1986. The truce between Israel and Hamas is being extended for another day. The Israeli military has said that the temporary ceasefire in Gaza will now continue for another day for the process of releasing hostages and subject to the terms of the agreement. The six-day truce was set to end at 7 a.m. local time today following the release of 16 captives being held by Hamas in exchange for 30 Palestinian prisoners being held by Israel. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis appealed for the continuation of the ceasefire in Gaza. From Vatican Radio, Joseph Tullock reports. I hope that the truce underway in Gaza might continue so that all the hostages might be freed and the necessary humanitarian aid might be able to enter. May we please continue to pray for the serious situation in Israel and Palestine, the Pope said. Pace, per favore, pace. Peace, please, peace, he said. Calling for the temporary ceasefire to be extended, the Pope noted that he had recently spoken by phone with Gaza's Catholic parish of the Holy Family. They don't have water, they don't have bread, ordinary people are suffering, the people are suffering, he said. It's not those who make the war who are suffering. Let us now, the Pope added, ask for peace. And let us not forget, while asking for peace, the dear Ukrainian people, who are suffering a lot and still fighting a war. War is always a defeat, the Pope said. Everyone loses. I'm Joseph Tollock. The U.S. bishops are calling for international climate policies that promote justice as the U.N.'s annual climate meeting gets underway in Dubai today. Pope Francis had intended to travel to Dubai this weekend to participate in the COP28 meetings, but had to cancel at the request of his doctors as he recovers from flu-like symptoms and lung inflammation. The U.S. bishop said in the statement, quote, no government will be successful in reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the long run if it requires a significant increase of the energy costs of middle and low income citizens. In other words, they say climate goals must represent both the cry of the earth and the cry of the poor and include the financial support by developed nations for adaptation, resilience and recovery of the most vulnerable, end quote. All public colleges and universities in Massachusetts have a deadline today to submit a medication abortion readiness plan. The order is part of a 2022 law protecting abortion and so-called gender-affirming care. Governor Mara Healey announced last week that a toolkit was created to help the schools prepare. 
J.P. Morgan Chase is warning that inflation could rise more and a recession is still possible. Lisa Taylor has the story. CEO Jamie Dimon said at the New York Times Deal Book Summit in New York that interest rates could continue to go up. He noted the governments across the world needing more money for their militaries and to address energy crises could contribute to inflation. Dimon said that while the U.S. labor market has been stable, inflation is hurting people. I'm Lisa Taylor. The 2023 Atlantic hurricane season ends today, finishing up what the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration is calling an above-normal season. The 20 named storms ranks as the fourth highest since 1950. Seven storms were hurricane and three were hurricanes and three were category three or higher. According to NOAA, an average season has 14 named storms seven hurricanes, and three major hurricanes. Hurricane Idalia was the only United States landfalling hurricane hitting as a Category 3 on August 30th in Florida's Big Bend region. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on EWTN Radio. It's 35 past. The Got a coffee lover on your Christmas list this year? Give them the gift of Mystic Monk Coffee. The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of seasonal blends that would make for a great Christmas morning brew. And when you purchase it, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you support the monks and the show. If your coffee lover is also a fan of the Sunrise Morning Show, pick up a mug or travel mug for them in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Heart of St. Paul. St. Paul was known for his great courage, compassion, and zeal for spreading the gospel. He was also known as having a bit of a temper. Paul does not hesitate to raise his voice when he sees Christians in danger. In chapter 3 of the letter to the Galatians, St. Paul writes, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? These people of Galatia were being tempted to turn away from Christ and back to the Jewish law. And this movement was succeeding. Paul is beside himself that the Galatians seem to be rejecting Christ. He sees the seriousness of their action while they do not appear to see it. To move away from Christ Jesus, once you have accepted the faith, is a dangerous thing that has serious consequences. To move away from Jesus or desire things other than Jesus is to move away from salvation. The action of the people of Galatia produced some harsh words from St. Paul. These words were not meant to wound, but to help them wake up and see what they have and what they have given away if they turn away from Christ. And we hear this from the heart of St. Paul. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Gary Machuda. He's the author of a book called The Gospel Truth, and it is a really helpful guide uh, for anybody who's been in conversations with anybody who is attacking your faith and saying, ah, well, none of this can possibly be true because it's so old. Uh, Gary Machuda, good morning. (laughs) Morning, Matt. So we talked about how you verified things 
from the eyewitnesses, the apostles, right, the gospel writers. And we even talked about how the people who would have learned at the feet of those guys, and uh, even from people like Mary Magdalene, like the witness, those first witnesses, they would have had some pretty strong claims for verification. But what happens when you get a generation beyond that group? Uh, That's where a lot of people say, well, this is where the record dies out. This is where you can't trust things. Uh, what what do we have as as far as a response to that? Yeah, well, you, I, what I do in the book is I do a thought experiment where we put ourselves in the sandals of those maybe one generation later. Um, uh, for example, let's pretend that we're in the Church of St. Ignatius of Antioch, who was bishop uh, twice removed from Peter. There's uh, Peter was bishop there, then Evodius, then St. Ignatius. And I say, let's pretend we're at the liturgy, and he's given a homily, and he's talking on John 6, where Jesus says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And Ignatius says this refers to the Eucharist. Now, how could we verify the meaning of that passage? Because we might have our, our pocket Bible, which is kind of funny, because, of course, you wouldn't have a pocket Bible back then. And so if we you can did read have the one, there ain't no way it's fitting in a pocket. That's right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, in fact, you probably get a hernia carrying That's it around. very much so. Yes. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, we could say, uh, I don't know if I understand that text the same way, how do I know Ignatius is right? And I'm wrong on this point. So, you know, in the thought experiment, there's lots of different ways you could verify whether what he says is true. Uh, For example, you could ask the congregation, because many, especially the older ones, they were there when Evodius was there, maybe some were even there when Peter was there, and you could ask them, did, did they ever preach on this passage? Did they ever say this was Eucharistic, and you should be able to get some verification that way. Of course, you could go to Ignatius himself and ask him, how do you know this is the correct interpretation? And Ignatius could say, look, I'm a disciple of St. John, and he wrote the Gospel, and this is how he explained it to me. But even if you're a super skeptic and, and don't want to accept that, there's still other ways you could do it. You could look at how the liturgy is set up, whether liturgy point connects the two, the text to the Eucharist. You could go to other churches that were known to be established by the Apostle and ask them, ask the congregations, ask uh, those who were disciples of other Apostles as well. And, Matt, what you should find is everybody should be pretty much in agreement one way or another on that passage. And that would be a really strong sign that this all has a common source that would go all the way back to the time of Jesus. It is a fascinating thing to ponder. And, you know, as, as you're going through some of that, Gary, I was just thinking about in my own life. So here we are in, uh, we're almost a quarter of the way through the 21st century. Time has flown, it appears. Um, so I'm in my mid-40s. Uh, turns out, though, when I was born in the late 70s, I actually... Uh, had some living great-grandparents, and they grew up knowing people who had fought in the Civil War. So I could, during my lifetime, me, living in 2023, there was a point where I could talk to people who knew people who were in the Civil War in the 1860s. I don't think people realize how easy it is to be connected like a really long way back just by living. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and especially if you go into ancient culture, you know, in modern culture, we're bombarded with uh, social media, uh, all these people, international connections. That wasn't the case back then. You know, back then, information moved slower, and I think it also resided longer. You can kind of see this in rural America, where, you know, things that happen in a small town tend to live on in legend. Things that happen with a small town's high school football team, for crying out loud. People remember that for centuries. That's exactly right. Yeah, like Hoosiers, right? I mean, it's just uh, you remember stuff. Because you don't, you're not bombarded with all this information. So, if anything, the living memory of people would be much longer in the ancient world, I think, and it'd be a lot easier to verify this information. Well, not just we think, but we know this. We actually have pretty strong evidence that this is why the story of salvation history uh, is so reliable and trustworthy. Because let's say you don't have. Uh, any movies or television or podcasts, you've got one big story. It's the story of your people, and you tell it year-round every year for centuries. I mean, this is what the Old Testament essentially is. It's the one story that everybody knew better than everything, and it was important to tell it right down the ages. And so if that's the tradition that produces Christianity, then it makes sense that we would have picked up on some of those habits. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, a while back we talked about the, the telephone game and why the telephone game fails. And part of it is because the message is being whispered into everybody's ears. But that's not the case with the gospel. It was a communal, you know, a communal experience that many people uh, witnessed what Jesus said and did. And so there's this whole cloud of verification that can be tapped into and as you know, like you said with the Old Testament, that this is the family story that's been passed on. Anybody that tried to tell a story with a family knows that there's always fact-checkers, right? There's always people, if you make a mistake, there's always somebody to say, no, you're getting that part wrong. And, you know, how much more so would it be true of, like, the most important event in all of human history? Well, I don't want to spend too much time on this because we don't have a lot of time on this. And we also talked about it when we covered your book, Revolt Against Reality. But we see evidence of of that sort of family history, that common family knowledge, in one of the earliest debates that pops up in Christianity, which is a group of people saying only a handful of us know the real story. That's this heresy of Gnosticism. It gets swatted down pretty quickly by people like Irenaeus who say, no, we all know the story, (laughs) right? I mean, that's one of the arguments against Gnosticism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that was a deadly heresy. They they claimed to receive secret knowledge from the apostles that wasn't given to the rank and file, and and smashed it on the rock of reality. He basically says, "Look, if if that's true, then we should find in a belief. Don't everybody had their, their own weird beliefs, but we but we do find." Amongst all the churches, especially those that can be traced uh, to the I think we're losing you there, Gary, but that's okay, because I actually think we ought to spend a whole segment on Gnosticism next time we talk, because it reveals so many interesting things about the whole question of how any of this gets verified, (laughs) you know, once once you get generations down the line. But uh, we've got you linked, hands-on apologetics, at sunrisemorningshow.com. I encourage people to go over and check out your book, The Gospel Truth. Thanks so much, Gary. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Matt. You too.
All right. Well, that just is a great tease for the next time we have Gary on. The most important stuff that he said there was the secret knowledge. Just kidding. We're back right after this. It's a quarter till. I have been a school sister of Notre Dame for 72 years. Most senior Catholic sisters, brothers, and religious order priests served for years with little pay. I always taught the primary grades, and I loved it. Today, hundreds of religious communities lack retirement funds. Your gift to the Retirement Fund for Religious helps provide medications and care. Please give to those who have given a lifetime. Thank you, and God bless you a hundredfold. Donate at your local parish. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. They have a number of Christmas blends available, and when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug, available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN offers the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass live every morning at 8 Eastern and provides you with daily readings to follow along and enrich your experience. To be sure you don't miss out on the daily Mass or to get access to previous recordings, we can send a link to your email inbox every day. It's easy. Visit EWTN.com and click subscribe. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Coming up later this morning on More to Life. We'll be taking your calls and helping you celebrate the life you were meant to live. Tune in to More to Life, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 Central on EWTN Radio. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 12 till here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Let's take a look at headlines. Henry Kissinger, one of the most influential diplomats of the 20th century, a Nobel Peace Prize winner, has died. He was 100 years old. The truce between Israel and Hamas is being extended for another day. And on this feast of St. Andrew the Apostle, as is customary, Pope Francis has sent his greetings and best wishes to ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew of Constantinople. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 12 till. Marlon De La Torre joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show, Senior Senior Director of the Department of Evangelization for the Diocese of Columbus. He writes at knowingisdoing.org. Marlon, go Bucks. Annie, go Bucks. No matter what, right? It doesn't matter. We we will still march on. We persevere. We persevere that's right. indeed. It's okay. It's three years in a row, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm glad okay. we have each other on these right. on these right. mornings we're, after. 
where we it, it is it is in preparation for Advent. I'll Indeed. Indeed. Right. Advent. <laughs> yes. Advent, the topic of our discussion this morning. Mm. You know, we know that Advent is a, a season of preparation ahead mm-hmm. of Christmas. However, when you think about it, that doesn't quite make sense, does it? I mean, why would we need four weeks of prep? to mm-hmm. celebrate mm-hmm. this one feast day that happened one day like 2,000 years ago, as momentous of a day mm-hmm. as that was. I mean, no doubt about it. Um, but mm-hmm. I think we need to mm-hmm. enhance our understanding here. What exactly are we preparing for during Advent? That's a great question. I think when you look at the the way the church has constructed itself liturgically and how our, our basic identity is is directed towards a, a divine being, something omnipotent, something wonderful. We, we look at Advent as that entryway to really place ourselves before the throne of our Lord and to really admire what He's done in bringing His Son into the world. And so when you do that, th- there's an awe and wonder, but also there's a sense of, wait a minute, I, I need to prepare to receive Him. And this is significant when, when you look at Advent or the dawning or the spawning of something new at this great uh, like manifestation of an event for us. And when you look at Advent, really it's a, it's a preparation for ourselves to uh, be receptive of the gift that God has given us in His Son. That means our awareness of ourselves, our intellect, our will, our mind, heart, and soul. Uh, are we properly disposed? Are we properly prepared to receive Him, to receive Him with joy? And that means sin. That means uh, what do we need to do to address our nature, our, our fallen nature? How do we uh, look at the opportunity to renounce or reject any uh, any sin because we, we are expecting something great? So in order to be expected of something beautiful, we can't have anything impede that. We can't have anything just get in the way of that. So we have to separate ourselves from, from that sinful nature that uh, that tends to dwell around us and prevents us from seeing just a true gift of the birth of our Lord. Well, let's dig into that a little bit more because a lot of people think that, you know, preparing for Christmas means putting up Christmas lights, getting your Christmas tree, mm-hmm. you know, decked out, and I don't know, finding your Christmas cookie cutters. <laughs> yeah. um, what is necessary in this process of preparation because Christ is coming for all of us mm-hmm. at the end of our lives, uh, mm-hmm. let alone the second coming um, at the end. So, so what goes into to this renunciation of sin? Well, first and foremost, that you love him more than your own sins. So to, to unpack that a little bit, it's when you look at this preparation for our Lord, we have to ask, ourselves, what is blocking me from loving him? What do I need to do to become aware more of my own faults, uh, even my own wounds that may get in, 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 in the way of, of, of embracing his love and really cherishing what he's done for us? So first and foremost, uh, a general examination of conscience. And what I mean by that for our listeners is really take yourself into a place where you can ask, what have I done to not be charitable to my own family, to my, my spouse, my children, my coworkers? What is there? What if there's something that is not allowing me to really forgive someone who needs forgiveness or serve someone in need. Uh, those are general examinants that you can do for yourself. Also, just what have I done to prepare prayerfully for the coming of our Lord? Is, is my proper disposition in prayer uh, strong, uh, even from a, a simple Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory Be, or 
10, 15 minutes of silence, or mm-hmm. more importantly, well, even meditating on scripture, Lectio Divina. And for our listeners, Lectio Divina is a basic process of contemplating, meditating, reading prayer, and really focusing on what the message of the gospel, for example, is telling us, say, in Matthew 25, or looking at the great uh, Luke 15 discourse of the prodigal son, for example. These are things that we can take to heart to see how can I prepare myself for the coming of our Lord, or even looking at Luke's gospel and the whole uh, narrative between Gabriel and Mary, and welcoming her, and allowing her to say, well, she is the mother of God. These simple things are meant to really place ourselves before the anticipatory coming of our Lord. Yeah, and even if the Lord doesn't come for us specifically uh, Mm -hmm. in the next, you know, four, four and a half weeks, uh, how will all of this help us then better celebrate the birth of our newborn king on the Feast of Christmas? Oh, great question. I think if, if our listeners here, all of us are baptized, God willing, and we, we understand hopefully that baptism is the entryway. It, it is a confirmation of our faith to, to believe in God, to be a Trinitarian people. And if that grace of baptism continues to strengthen us and grow in us, then uh, Advent makes sense. But then beyond Advent, it makes even further sense because there, there is a an entrance to a finality, to a beginning. And what I mean by that is, as we wait for our Lord to come again, we anticipate His birth, but He will come again. In that in-between phase of our life, we are strengthening ourselves to seek that final coming or that seek that final destination. And, and that's what we hope for. That's what we uh, aspire for, is that our Lord in the end will bring us home, that we may be with Him in eternal happiness and eternal joy. And so that, for our listeners, should be really the uh, the awe and wonder and the desires like, yes, yes. That, that awaits for me, that that's what I so desire for my children, my wife, my family, friends, whoever, that that is the key for all this. We've been talking to Marlon De La Torre. You can find knowingisdoing.org linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Marlon, thank you so much, and go Bucks! Thank you, Annie. Go Bucks! Go Bucks! <sighs> We're not playing this weekend. It's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Marlon's fine. We're all fine. We're all fine. You can find all of our guests linked at sonrisemorningshow.com. Really want to encourage you to head over to our website because there are all kinds of resources to stay connected to the Sunrise Morning Show throughout the day, um, particularly if there is an interview that you have missed or you heard part of it and you want to hear the whole thing or you want to go back and, you know, find out what was that quote that the person did or what was that book or, you know, whatever. Um, If you go to our show notes, you can find links to all of the guests. You can also find our podcast that has little markers in it. So you can find the guests that you were listening to and revisit that particular interview, which you can then link to and share with folks. You can also find the archives of the video stream if you want to see what a particular guest book looked like. As you're headed to your Catholic bookstore to uh, pick up a copy for a loved one in your life because, you know, it's shopping season, right? Right? (laughs) But, you know, to support your local Catholic bookstore, that's a great idea. So you can check out the video stream there, too. S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com. That'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his.